0: Thank you, Clinton, for that uh, visual because I kept seeing that in my mind and was just thinking, how do I do that? But I didn't have to because you did it, so thank you. Um, Let us pray. God, we are so grateful for this day that you've blessed us with. We thank you, O Lord, for bringing us each and every one of us out this morning to spend time with one another, um, to hear your word, but most importantly, to be in your presence as a group. So, God, I just ask that you will touch each and every person in a special way. Those who are here on today and those who are not with us, oh God, bless them in a special way. Keep them safe where it is that they may be, as we know that this is the last vacation weekend for the summer and people are taking advantage of it, so we ask that you will keep them safe wherever they are. God, we just thank you for all things. We ask that as this word go forth, um, the hearts hearts will be open, ears will be open to hear from you and to see you. So Lord, just let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So I didn't have a title for today's message until last night, and the title is, It's My Pleasure. And as we go on, you'll understand what that means. So in the reading, the landowner went out to the marketplace early in the morning, and we'll say it was about 6 a.m., and he was looking to pay someone to work the land. And Clinton just gave for us a visual of what working the land might look like. When he found someone, they negotiated a salary or compensation, so the workers began to work. Now, remember, this is at 6 a.m. Then again at 9 a.m., when most of us are just now getting up to go to work or arriving at work, he went out and got more people to work in the vineyard. He found other workers and told them he would pay them what is fair. There was no negotiation he would decide what, would, what he would pay after the work was done. Now, I don't know how many people would just go to work and not know how much they're getting paid. Certainly not me. Um, this group of people must have really wanted to work, or maybe it had been their pleasure to work for this landowner. Again at noon, the landowner went out again to recruit more employees and did the same thing. Now, the Bible says, depending on which version you read, and I was reading the NIV, it said that the landowner did the same thing. So, in this instance, I'm inclined to think that, again, there was no negotiation. He just said, I'll pay what is fair. At 3 o'clock and at 5 o'clock, the landowner, again, sought more employees and sent them to work in his vineyard. Now, the new international version does not say whether there was compensation negotiation or not. And most employment experiences, especially something that involves laborers such as this, THE COMPENSATION NEGOTIATION ALWAYS OCCURS. THE LABORERS NEGOTIATE A FAIR AND LIVING WAGE WITH THE EMPLOYER. SOME ORGANIZATIONS SUCH AS GENERAL MOTORS OR FORD OR SCHOOL DISTRICTS EVEN HAVE LABOR UNIONS THAT FACILITATE THE NEGOTIATIONS. Then there are nonprofits that include an executive board that has an input on salaries for various employees and positions. An individual that is applying to work at a nonprofit may be able to negotiate salary and benefits within the monetary guidelines that are set forth by the, by the board. But in this instance, only one group of employees was able to, to negotiate their salary, which, had been set, which then set the precedent for all salaries to follow. At the end of the workday, which began at 6 a.m. for the first set of workers, all workers were compensated. The workers that were hired last were the first to get paid. They received one denarius, which was the negotiated compensation of the first group hired. So when the first group learned of this, they were upset. They were mad. They asked the landowner, why did this, why did the last to be hired receive the same compensation as the first? We worked more hours than anyone else. The landowner told them that the first group negotiated a price and the rest received what he wanted them to have. He then went on to ask, why are you concerned with what I do with my money? He closes the conversation with, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So if you notice the first group that was hired, um, there was compensation attached to the last three groups. They were given the task without the conversation of how much would be paid. Just, I just want you to hold on to that because it's going to come up again. As we speak of laborers, let us mention that tomorrow, the United States of America recognizes Labor Day. It's observed the first Monday in September, an annual celebration of the social and economic achievements of American workers. It's a holiday that's rooted in the late 19th century, with, when labor activists pushed for a federal holiday to recognize the many contributions workers have made to America's strength, prosperity, and well-being. Before it was a federal holiday, Labor Day was recognized by labor activists and in individual states. After municipal ordinances passed in 1885 and 1886, a movement developed to secure state legislation. New York was the first state to introduce a bill, but Oregon was the first to pass a law recognizing Labor Day on February 21st, 1887. And during that same year, four more states joined and passed laws creating a Labor Day holiday. But by the end of the decade, Connecticut, Nebraska, and Pennsylvania had followed suit, and by 1894, 23 more states had adopted the holiday. But on June 28, 1994, Congress passed the act making the first Monday in September of each year a legal holiday. This information came directly from the Department of Labor's website, so I just want to put that out there. I'm not forging anything or plagiarizing. Labor activists lobby to have this day recognized for the contributions of American workers, to be celebrated with parades for the laborers and their families. Now, while many of us that were employed are still employed enjoy that day off, I'm curious about the other approximate 252 workdays a year. And that excludes the two to four weeks, depending on where you work, um, of vacation, weekends, and other holidays. Now, during those workdays, are we laboring from sun up to sundown? Are we laboring eight hours a day plus an unpaid hour for lunch? In our laboring, what is it or where is it that we find satisfaction and joy? What is it or where is it that we look forward to the work that we do? Do we find pleasure in our work? And this applies to working in our home or even out of our home. This applies to volunteering at church, a local library, or other organizations. Just think about it for a moment. Where do we find our pleasure in the work that we do? Hold on to that because it's going to come up again. The last line of that passage says that the first will be last and the last will be first. The workers that worked longer question why the wage was the same when they had worked longer. How often do we find ourselves in similar situations when we have put in extra work or have gone over and beyond and feel undercompensated, or believe that we are being taken advantage of. American society has led us to believe that the worker that works the hardest shall be compensated either monetarily or by promotion or by some type of recognition that informs others of our hard work and dedication to the agency, the company, or even to the church. It is here that Jesus says, each one receives the same compensation regardless of the amount of time that has been worked. Jesus was telling this parable to the disciples because in Matthew 19, 27, Peter asked the question, now that we have forsaken others and given up everything to follow you, what's in it for us? Jesus replied, for all that you have forsaken and given up, you will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. In our text for today, Jesus was really explaining the difference between being called and being hired. The first group of workers in the vineyard were hired for one denarius for 12 hours of work. The other workers were called or chosen to work in the vineyard. They worked less hours and still earned the same amount of compensation. The Bible doesn't tell us this, and we weren't there, but they may have worked just as hard in those few hours as did the workers who worked longer hours. Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 19 and 29, for all that you have forsaken, All else for my name's sake, for his name's sake, all that we've given up for his name's sake, you will receive a hundredfold and eternal life. Now, I don't know what answer Peter was looking for, but how can you beat a hundredfold and eternal life for the work that you do for the name of Christ? A hundredfold in God's return on your investment into kingdom building. Friends, I ask you, are you investing in the kingdom? I'm not asking about monetary donations for the work we do here on earth for kingdom building. I'm speaking of what type of soul work are you investing in the kingdom? Soul work for yourself, soul work for others. What other investments are you making for the building up of the kingdom? Have you responded to the calling? Are you working out your soul's salvation by being a witness to others? What are we doing in the name of Christ? As members of the Anabaptist community, we are called and chosen to be peacemakers. Matthew 5 and 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The landowner and the text encountered just a small bit of conflict when confronted by the workers that wanted to know why did everyone else receive the same wage. He did not retaliate and take the money back from them. He simply responded by saying, You and I had an agreement. We agreed upon the amount, of, the amount of pay for the amount of work that you completed. The landowner exercised a strategy of peacemaking by referring back to the agreement. Friends, we are experiencing challenges when we're working in the vineyard. We must remember that we are about peace first. Our responses to challenges and, our, and or conflict should be laced with actions and thoughts of peace. We should think about how our words or our actions would impact the situation. Would it be be for good? Will it be for bad? Will Will the outcome be positive or negative? How will what I say or do make a difference in the situation? We must draw from biblical experiences and scriptures to inform our thoughts and our actions, to devise a strategy to deal with the challenges and or conflicts. As we draw from the Bible to address challenges and conflict, we should remember that we must exhibit and exercise grace. Grace, which is God's unmerited favor, not to be confused with kindness, which is a behavior of generosity, helping, and concern of others. And as I studied this text, I read somewhere that someone believes that, workers that, didn't work, that the workers that didn't work until 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock didn't have an opportunity to work sooner but perhaps if they had the opportunity to work earlier, it really didn't matter because the pay was still the same. The reward is still the same. The work that we do for Christ, we're rewarded all the same. We are rewarded in grace. We each receive grace. But grace for me looks different than grace for you. Our tangible items, our homes, automobiles, bicycles, furniture, and more are attainments via the financial compensation of our labor. Our inner peace and our inner joy and our inner satisfaction is a result of God's favor and grace in our lives. When we work for man, we are paid in dollars and cents. When we work for God, our reward is manifested in the blessings and favor on our lives. Blessings and favors of good health, sound mind. In the parable, the workers that were called and chosen worked without knowing what their reward would be. They just went to work. When we work for God, we work without knowing how, if at all, how we will be rewarded. To be called or chosen is to agree to work without expecting something in return. Although Jesus said, when you forsake all others and follow me for my namesake, you will receive a hundredfold and eternal life. I have a question. Is there someone in your life that you will run errands for, transport to the doctor, or wherever they need to go. I think we all have that one person that we will do anything for at the drop of a ha- at the drop of a dime. If they call us, we're trying to figure out how to help them get what they need, how to take them where they need to go. Is there anyone you would be willing to respond to a call from day or night? When we do those things for people. They'll say, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And then our response should be, or let me speak for myself. My response usually is, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to do that for you. There's no problem, no worries. I can do that for you. I started saying it's my pleasure probably about a year and a half ago. If you didn't know, this, one little fun fact about me. I love lemonade from Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A lemonade, um, something about it, and I get it without. I don't want ice because, you know, they'll fill the cup with ice and then, so you don't get all the lemonade. So I always get it without ice because, you know, they haven't caught on yet, so don't tell them. So I get it without ice. (laughs) But then sometimes I'll buy it and just take it home and put it in the refrigerator so I can drink it later. So that's my little fun fact about me. But when you go to Chick-fil-A, what do they say when you make your purchase and complete the transaction? It's my pleasure. They pass you your, your meal or your drink or whatever, and you say, oh, thank you. They say, it's my pleasure. And I started, to think about, I started thinking about that one day, and I thought, wow, how that makes me feel when they say, it's my pleasure. So I started saying that to people. It's my pleasure. I worked in social services. I worked in a service-based agency where I had to help people all the time. So when they call and ask for something, I do it. They say, oh, thank you so much, Ross. I appreciate that. I say, oh, it's my pleasure. They text me. I respond. They say, thanks. I respond in text. It's my pleasure. It is my pleasure to serve. It should be our pleasure to serve God as well. When we've been called and we've been chosen to do the work in the vineyard, it should be our pleasure to serve. It's hot. We heard that. And at 6 a.m. when the sun is coming up, And by noon, the sun is really at its rightful place, and it is hot. But we're still serving. They were still working. And the workers who didn't even know what they were being paid, they were still working. And at the end of the day, I don't know what they were hoping for other than just to be paid. We don't know how much they were hoping to be paid. They were just hoping to be paid. But they were serving. Are we serving as if we're serving with pleasure? No matter what you're doing, regardless of the work that you do, are we serving and saying, oh, it's my pleasure when someone says thank you? When God calls you, are you saying, it's my pleasure? So it's my pleasure to serve. And I just was thinking about that, and I thought, yeah, it's my pleasure to serve. There are challenges along the way, but it's still my pleasure. When we take those things that we're learning We try to figure out, why is this happening to me? It's still my pleasure to learn the lesson in whatever is happening. It's my pleasure to be a peacemaker. There are times when we will be challenged, as we mentioned earlier. There will be times someone will experience spiritual warfare. There are times when we will just say, I don't feel like it today. But at the end of the day, when we do the thing that we've been called to do, we will find so much joy and so much peace in serving God that it will be our pleasure to do so. As I thought more and more about this text, I thought about the landowner landowner saying, It's my money. I can do what I want to do with my money. Are you mad that I'm choosing to spend my money this way? God chooses to bless and extend grace to all of his children. So when we hear the voice, voice of God asking, Why are you standing idle near the vineyard? How are we going to respond? We should be prepared to respond with joy and say, it will be my pleasure to serve. How may I help today? Or we could say, I'm available to serve. I'm available to serve in the children's ministry. I'm available to serve on whatever committee can utilize me. In responding to our calling, we know that God has called us to do. And we just say, well, they got enough people to do that. There's no need for me to join that group, or I'm just not qualified to do that. But God is asking all of us to do something, and we sometimes already know we just don't always act so quickly. Sometimes our calling isn't always to serve in the church. Sometimes our calling is to serve outside of these four walls. We come together on Sundays to worship together, but outside the four walls, we are called to serve each and every person that we encounter. We are called to serve the homeless. We are called to serve those who don't have enough food. And we are called to serve those who do have enough food, who do have a home. They may need something different. They may need someone to listen to them. They may need someone to talk them to come into the church doors so that they can spend time amongst God's people. They just may need whatever, they just may need someone to talk to them to get them back into the church doors, and they can get some of what they need by just watching us and talking with us when we share God's goodness and grace with others. Friends, we are ambassadors of Christ. As we discern the ideal of working in the vineyard and responding to God's call, I'm still thinking about what a pleasure it is to serve others for the sake of Christ. Knowing how it feels when the worker says to me, it's my pleasure, how then would others feel when we say, it's my pleasure when serving them. To say it's my pleasure to someone makes them feel like they were worth the, worth the effort. They were worth being served, like they were not a problem to serve. It's also an indicator that you are willing to serve God without reservation, hesitation, or expectation of anything in return, such as Peter who wanted to know, what's in it for me? In Mark ten forty five we're reminded that Jesus came into the world not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. Jesus' purpose was to serve mankind by preaching, teaching, healing, and by his presence. His ultimate purpose was to be a ransom. Though Jesus' calling included preaching, teaching, healing, presence, and performing other miracles, His ultimate assignment was to be the human sacrificial lamb for the atonement of our sins and our reconciliation unto God. I cannot imagine knowing that my chosen assignment would be to be the one to be crucified so that I could save others, to save those that I knew and those that I didn't know and wouldn't even see face-to-face until Judgment Day. Yet because I would know my assignment, I would have to follow through. I couldn't believe walking through life, still serving, knowing what my end would look like. Yet I would understand the ultimate goal, and that was what Jesus did. He understood his assignment. He understood his purpose. He knew his call, and he answered the call. He experienced anger, pain, was spat upon, doubted by his closest friends. Yet he persevered and pressed on because he knew his assignment. He knew that he, what he was chosen to do. It feels good to know that I was worth the sacrifice. It feels good to know that you were worth the sacrifice. I think about my actions when faced with temptation. I think about the words that I speak to make sure I'm not harming, harming anyone with the words in my mouth. I think about how I can lift someone else's spirits when I say kind words or when I extend grace or forgiveness. Christ's service on earth to his death on the cross is a daily reminder that I, that we, were worth the assignment and that by giving up a life of sin to follow him, it is and has been worth the journey. I've not received just yet the entire hundredfold, but I have received grace over and over and over. And when I think about some of the things I've done, some of the things I've said, On purpose, this was before I became a reverend. On purpose (laughs) and not purposely, I'm grateful for his grace. Friends, are you grateful today for making the choice to follow Christ? If you are grateful, imagine how grateful others will be when they also choose to follow him because of our witness to them of God's grace in our lives. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything verbally. Our actions, you heard the saying, actions speak louder than words. Our actions can speak volumes. Friends, we are called. We are all chosen. We all have an assignment. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we've been called and chosen to serve God. The question is, in what way are we going to serve him? In what way are we going to respond to our call? Do not let age, experience, physical abilities, or limited physical abilities hinder you from walking in your calling. Have you been called to work here in the church? If you believe you have, then you need to connect with the elders. You need to connect with them so that they can pray with you as you discern what God is calling you to. They will walk you through the process of serving. If you're called to serve the homeless or the hungry, you might want to get connected with the local homeless shelters in the city such as Refuge of Hope or the Homeless Outreach Team or the YMCA. You may want to get connected to some other services and agencies that serve displaced individuals. And these are just some ideas and options to consider as you think about laboring in the vineyard. Time is 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 drawing nigh, my friends, and we cannot wait for God to come and say, hey, Why are you standing idle? Why are you not doing anything? Why aren't you working? Let's step up to the plate and begin to serve. Let's begin to do our part with pleasure. Matthew 28 and 19 commands us to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the the age. Friends, we have work to do. For those that are actively engaged in the work of the church, this is not to negate anything that you are doing, but a reminder to us daily that we are to serve with an attitude of grace and peace. As we go into our time of reflection, today's message was about being called and chosen to work in the vineyard. Not only being called and chosen, but to respond to the call and working in such a way that not only is God pleased with our response to the call, but to work to bring pleasure to ourselves and those that we serve. Our ultimate calling is that of Ambassador of Christ. When people see us, they should see Christ. We are made in his image and his likeness, and that includes taking, the char- taking on the characteristic of peacemaker. Others should see our peaceful practices when we experience challenges, or confrontations. Working in the vineyard is not an easy task, nor is it always pleasant, but with the love and strength of God, we know that we can accomplish all things. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we seek to serve you with an attitude of grace and peace, we ask that you open our eyes, that we may see you working in the midst of us. Open our ears that we may hear your voice as we serve you first while serving others. Open our hearts that we might receive from you in order to pour out to the hearts of those that we encounter from day to day. As we go into the communities that we live, work, shop, and worship, walk with us as we serve as ambassadors of Christ. It's our hope and goal that the words that we say and the actions that we take are not only pleasing and acceptable in your sight, but that someone that doesn't know you and the pardon of their sins may be reconciled unto you by our witness. We thank you in advance for hearing and heeding our prayer. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.